Empower Radio presents Out of the Fog. Join intuitive guide and spiritual teacher Karen Hager for lively, positive conversation with lightworkers, healers, and dynamic wisdom keepers. Get ready for inspiration and connection. This is Out of the Fog on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Karen Hager. Hello and welcome to Out of the Fog. I'm Karen Hager. Each week at this time, we gather for spiritual conversation with enlightening guests, and I'm glad you're here. You can always stay connected with Out of the Fog and get bonus musings from my wacky world of intuition and puzzles and yarn by following me on Instagram. I'm at Fog City Psychic over there. So how's your anxiety level in this moment? There's so much going on in the world and we can put so much pressure on ourselves. Anxiety can rob us of joy. It pulls us out of the present moment and it is exhausting. My guest today is Wendy Tamas Robbins. And even when her life looked perfect and high achieving on the outside, anxiety and panic attacks were increasingly limiting her life. She's here to share how we can free ourselves from the prison and the stigma of anxiety through self-compassion and by doing the hard work of introspection. Wendy got herself free and she says you can too. Are you ready to meet her? Wendy Tamas Robbins, author of The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety, is a lawyer by day, writer by night, and a professional panic attacker. Despite near crippling anxiety, she worked her way through Dartmouth College and law school before in her 30s, she set her mind to overcoming the anxiety and panic attacks that increasingly limited her life. For the last 20 years, Wendy's worked in corporate finance, creating and preserving affordable housing and lending to underserved communities. You can find out more about Wendy and her work at wendytamisrobbins.com. Wendy, welcome to Out of the Fog. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So the name of your book is The Box, and I'm wondering what is the box? How does anxiety put us in prison? Well, I think first the box is a mental construct, right? That we create to protect ourselves. And I think most of us at some point in time in our lives find ourselves in a box, whether it's a box that culture is putting us into, or maybe it is some sort of mental health struggle that we are having. Um, And for me, it was anxiety. And I think that the box became my safe place early on, a place to, um, you know, wall myself off from all of these triggers that were creating all of this panic and anxiety. Um, For me at such a young age, it was initially because of a volatile household that I was growing up in, um, primarily caused by my mother's own untreated mental illness at the time. And um, I remember at the age of six, just before my first panic attack, playing in a large box that um, a new refrigerator had come in. And I was really hiding in that box more than anything. And so when they ultimately threw that box away, that's when I started to build this um, box for myself that was more mental and emotional. 
and those walls were made of things like perfectionism and people pleasing and hypervigilance, all of those things to um, create, like I said before, that safe place that I was so longing for. But ultimately that box became my prison, limiting my life, as you said earlier, in so many ways um, that then that journey became how to find my way out of that box and what my life looked like on the other side of those walls. When that box was at its tightest, what was your life like when things were at the worst? And I'm asking this because I know a lot of people listening experience anxiety, and a lot of times we don't feel like we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. So I had a few rock bottoms. Um, My first was in college when my anxiety reached such a heightened level that I became depressed and even had dissociative episodes. Mm -hmm. So this dissociation where I didn't recognize myself in the mirror, I looked at my body and it seemed like I was having an out-of-body experience at times. And um, I didn't really... I I didn't recognize myself in social situations. I didn't know how I typically responded. It's really a a coping mechanism that your brain drops into when it's being so overwhelmed by um, these anxious triggers. So that was the first time, that was when I found myself calling a suicide hotline because I didn't, I was functioning at school, but I, wasn't functioning internally. I was completely lost. And it seemed like the the fog was so thick that I just didn't know how I would ever find my way out. And, And to your point, I didn't have a vocabulary for it. And I was so terrified of telling anybody about what was going on for fear of being sent home, you know, losing my spot at this Ivy League school. And, um, I didn't understand what the next best step would be. And then when I finally graduated and went to law school and thought all of these things were going to make me feel better and kept running and running and trying to achieve more and more, convinced that if only I had the next thing that my anxiety would be relieved, um, I actually found that it was worse than ever. Mm -hmm. And as you said earlier, my life looked virtually, you know, perfect from the outside and the unraveling that was going on inside was causing me to have panic attacks probably three or four times a day and very difficult to think clearly um, and really just go about your, your daily functions. I talk about in the book, trying to drive myself to the grocery store and not being able to find my way there. Um, a place that I had been, you know, hundreds of times. And another, it's just another aspect of your, your mind being so overwhelmed by this what if thinking and this spiral that you're in, that it starts to um, really feel like your, your brain has been washed clean. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, such a disturbing feeling. And then there's physical aspects to it as well. I went from being a division one athlete to at my worst, um, not being able to walk through that grocery store without being held up by a cart. I couldn't go to the gym. I couldn't work out. I, I was constantly dizzy, 
had headaches, had, um, you know, G- GI stomach issues because of that mind, you know, gut brain connection is so strong and also just felt so weak. And just the thought of going into a gym would trigger another panic attack. So it, it's just, I think to your point, a lot of people don't realize what just saying, wow, I was anxious or, oh my God, I'm going to have a panic attack. I think that that becomes part of our vernacular and sort of loses its meaning over time if it's used too often, but it is really so, um, so devastating at its, at its worst that, um, but yeah, I think more people should really talk about it so that uh, more people know. How did you find your way out? How did you find your way to more freedom? The first thing that I did when I initially realized that I had this sort of aha moment that people talk about, and it was really when I went from this state of contracted awareness, really just focused on the problem, focused on my anxiety and focused on the fear, right? Having that fear mindset to having somebody just sort of turn a light on inside of that box for me. And I suddenly saw those walls and it expanded my awareness in such a way that I knew I needed to look at my life in a holistic way and try to start to understand where all of this anxiety was coming from. And that was really in my mid thirties. And one of the first things I did was look at my relationship. It was my first marriage. And um, I think that I paint a a, a stark contrast between my first husband and my second husband in the book and not to my first husband was a wonderful man, but people are just, they approach things like mental illness very differently. They have different skill sets. And I think that it's important to look at the people in your life if you are suffering. And I always say people are either carrying the buckets of water to help you put out the fire or they're fanning those flames and just making it worse. Um, Perhaps that's not their intent, but it is oftentimes the impact of their actions. And so I left that marriage and I started to look for the edges of my comfort zone and just take the tiniest steps outside of it. And for me, that was exposure therapy and not with, it wasn't with um, like a psychiatrist or anything formal like that, but I knew what my hot buttons were. I knew what would trigger anxiety for me. And I started to just do them little by little and just step out further and further and That I gained a lot of momentum there and a lot of skills and how to, um, you know, manage my anxiety and live a a much better life. But I would say it wasn't until about a decade later that I realized I was still accommodating my anxiety on a daily basis. I was still limiting my life somewhat because of it. And that's really when I started writing the book because I just didn't want to be limited at all. And I could see this life that was on the other side of those walls and I could like hear it calling to me and I needed to know if I could ever get there. And that was when I started to do the really deep dive and go back to that six-year-old girl who had that first panic attack. And what I did was through a lot of meditation, a lot of yoga, a lot of looking at my lifestyle, how I was eating. Um, I just went back and 
reparented myself through that meditation practice and sat with that girl and wrote about it and wrote about it. And that was a very cathartic experience. Um, and let all of that come up and, um, really just all of those, all of those emotions that I had been pushing down for so long, um, letting myself process all of that and finding this deep peace that existed below all of it and tapping into all of that. And then understanding how to let my anxiety inform me and guide me in ways that could open up my world. And that's essentially how I found my way on the, onto, you know, out of the box, the, onto the other side of those walls. Um, and how essentially I dismantled those walls, understanding what they were made of, and then um, just redirecting that energy through a more of a growth mindset versus a fear mindset. You're listening to Out of the Fog, and I'm talking with Wendy Tamas Robbins. Her new book is The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety. And you can find out more about Wendy and her work at wendytamasrobbins.com. That's Wendy. T-A-M-I-S-R-O-B-B-I-N-S dot com. Wendy Tamas Robbins dot com. Now, I'm somebody who in my own life has been pretty upfront with how I live with anxiety. And, and we can use anxiety, I think, as an, as an edge. It's kind of that keen edge that, um, that makes us sometimes um, hmm, dare more we can do more right, kind of ride that anxiety. Do you know what I mean? And then there are mm -hmm. times that it can be absolutely debilitating. And when you were talking about letting our anxiety inform us, I'd love for you to say more about that because sometimes that voice of anxiety is all about, no, you can't, you'll die if you do that. Don't let anybody see that it'll, you'll never make it. How can we open up to let anxiety inform us? Yeah, when it's that type of anxiety, I ask who's talking because uh -huh. it bothers me so much to hear it that I know it's not my my authentic self. I know that it's either something that I've learned culturally, something that I've taken from my family of origin. It's some sort of saboteur. And once I once I name that saboteur, I... It, it diffuses it for me. And it, I'll give you an example. Just a few days ago, there's a few things right now that I'm working on, you know, to get myself ready for 2022. And I'm like, what are some sources of shame that I still have that are still causing me some underlying anxiety when I think about them? Like, how can, how can that inform me? Like, and I was thinking about the saboteur and I really was having a hard time. I was struggling in this one particular place with naming a saboteur. And then as I rolled it over in my mind and meditated on it, I actually heard my big sister, my older sister. I say big sister because it put me back into that age, right? That's where um, that's where I first heard this thing that I couldn't understand. Why do I keep saying this to myself? I know it's not me. Who is talking? And the more I asked, took me a few weeks and ultimately it, it just occurred to me suddenly that it was something that my older sister had said to me at this, you know, formative age that stuck with me until a week ago, you know, and was still causing anxiety for me. 
And I think that that's something that, you know, if you do that work and question it and really um, meditate on it, whatever is going to bring that up for you, um, it, it's like excavating, you know, your insides to understand what's going on and what's holding you back from living your best life. And that was just a great recent example for me. I love that. And I love that perspective that it gives. The voice of anxiety can sometimes become so loud, it drowns everything out. And what I'm hearing you say is that you can step back and look at it from a little bit of distance. Wait a minute. Who's that talking? Is that me? Because that doesn't sound like me. Um, For listeners who are dealing with anxiety, and especially for people, anxiety is so prevalent Um, And because of the way the world is right now, I think anxiety is even running even higher than it may have been before. For listeners who are living with anxiety, and maybe if there's someone right now who's listening, who's feeling kind of on the edge of an anxiety attack or heightened anxiety, is there one practical thing that they could do right now to help calm that down, give them a little bit of space? Um. A few things come to mind for me um, in the moment when I start to feel that physical sensation come up as if it's a, you know, the ball's been pushed down the hill and I know I'm headed into an anxious episode or a panic attack. Yeah. um, I like to first recognize that you're not broken. There's nothing wrong with you that this is actually how our body is supposed to respond to whatever thought triggered that in our reptilian, you know, um, fight or flight mind. This is something that, you know, you're, this is how your, our species has survived. So that was something that would keep me spinning out of control for so long was thinking that I was broken, thinking that all I needed was a diagnosis because I knew there was something physically wrong with me or just know that this is what's supposed to be happening. And, then use a grounding technique, something like the five, four, three, two, one technique, something around engaging your senses for at least 10 to 20 seconds, you know, finding something to really sink your teeth into some, some vibrant color or some beautiful music and don't use words to describe it. Just let all of that, um, just experience it through direct experience so that it's really just your senses. And that will shift all of that energy into your, the right side of your brain, which is more compassionate, more calm, and it will diffuse that fight or flight trigger. So those are the first two things that really help me, even when I still feel them, you know, come up um, so that I can then write it out, even if that fight or flight response has already sent some of that stress hormone through my system. And I still may start to feel my throat feel tight and my chest feel tight and my limbs get a little weak. Um, Those those first two things, making sure you, you know, understand where your thoughts are at, get them compassionate, get them curious, maybe what thought triggered this? How can I change that thought? This is not something that's going to kill me. I am not broken. This is a normal response. You know, I'm just going to ride it out and then find a way to ground yourself in the moment so that it's easier to make it through and, and, you know, get into that calm space again. 
I'm very glad you didn't say drop immediately into 20 minutes of meditation (laughs) because when, I don't know if you feel this way, but when I'm sort of freaking out and someone's like, oh yeah, you should meditate about that. It makes me want to harm someone. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. No, I know. I mean, it came to mind because meditation is such a, a, a great thing for me. It was very transformational and I do love to talk about it and promote it, but I know that I fired probably six or seven therapists for simply suggesting therapy to me. I mean, meditation to me. I I, I was like, I'm clearly inept at explaining how devastating my anxiety is right now, because if you knew, you would know that it is impossible for me to meditate. So I would just say if anyone's looking to try and start meditating, I would try a guided meditation first because your mind is not going to want to stop racing initially at all. So if you can find somebody to guide you through um, sort of a visualization type meditation, I think that's a great jumping off point. And that all the forms of meditation are available to us when we are ready, when it's in alignment. There isn't only 20 minutes of absolute silence where we, I don't know what we're going to do, connect with our inner self or whatever. There's guided meditation. You can, I believe you can focus your attention for the space of one breath or half a breath or a quarter of a breath, that it doesn't have to be a, a spiritual, uh, doesn't have to be a spiritual discipline in that sense, like sit on that mat, start meditating. What's the matter with you? You can't meditate. There's so much more ease available around meditation, around looking within. We just often don't think that we can take advantage of that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What from this book, and this is, a raw, vulnerable, and practical book. It's my favorite, my favorite kind. <laughs> what would you most like readers to take away from this? First, that they are not alone. I do think there's so much isolation that happens when people are struggling with mental illness versus physical illness. Um, I just went through a surgery in May and wrote an article about the stark difference between how we as a culture deal with mental illness versus physical illness. We are just not equipped to or comfortable asking for help and receiving it. And um, so I just primarily want people to understand that there's so many of us that are going through this that once you open the door, because once I opened this book up to, as a lawyer, my partners, my clients, which was really terrifying. I, I just had to be ready for whatever response I got. But every single person I've t- talked to has either suffered themselves or has somebody in their life, a loved one who is struggling with anxiety. So I think it, it, it's an invitation really to open yourself up to communicate it because it will take, it takes all of us to help carry the burden of this, whether it's a mental illness or a physical illness, right? I was on crutches and it took not only the crutches to help me heal, but it took all of the people around me while I was on crutches to help me heal. And it's that social scaffolding that we have for physical ailments that we need to create for these mental issues as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So talking about it will at least, you know, help, help, help you bear the weight of it. 
Now we're just up against the end of our time. Can you let the listeners know how they can find out more about your work, how they can reach out to you and where they can find the book? Absolutely. Um, so on my website that you mentioned earlier, it's Wendy Tamis, T-A-M-I-S, Robbins with two Bs.com. Everything is there. The book is there um, in several ways to purchase it if you want to support your local bookstores. Um, and then there's also, I do one-on-one coaching. There's information there about that. I've been working with college students and law, uh, law school students this fall, primarily, which um, I'm not surprised at, given, you know, given what they're all going through in these difficult transitions. And I also have corporate wellness programs that I've been working primarily with law firms more, most recently, um, because my programs are, um, eligible for CLE credit, which is helpful for, for lawyers, but also being a lawyer. I think that, um, you know, it's really helpful to not only teaching them the skills about around mindfulness in such a stressful profession, but also how to end the stigma in the corporate cultures that have been created over so many decades. Um, yeah, giving, given not only the people who are struggling the skills, but people who aren't giving them the skills, the empathy, educating them and trying to empower them with the skills that they are looking for to help those that, you know, they're working with or they're managing, um, so that they can seek the treatment that they need. Oh, I love it. Wendy, thank you for being on the show and for the light that you're putting out into the world. Thank you for talking about your experience and helping us through it too. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That's Wendy Tamas Robbins, and her new book is The Box, An Invitation to Freedom from Anxiety. You can find out more about Wendy and her work at wendytamasrobbins.com. Here comes the spelling. Are you ready? W-E-N-D-Y-T-A-M-I-S-R-O-B-B-I-N-S, wendytamisrobbins.com. And of course, you can always find out more about me and what I, what's happening for me at karenhager.com. You can even book a private session over there if you're so inclined. You can follow me at Fog City Psychic on Instagram. Check out my little baby YouTube channel where I've started to post the podcast, audio only for now, but who knows where that's going to go. And Take a deep breath. You're loved. You are seen. You're not alone. Thank you for listening today. Together we are spreading a little more light in the world, and a little more light is always a good thing. Until next time, I'm wishing you peace. Peace.